Well, hello and welcome to the Well and the Well Cafe upstairs. My name is Lauren, and it is my honor to serve as one of your pastors here at First Mansfield. And I'm so thankful uh, that you have all joined us here in worship today. I have to say, I think it's going to be a really good day. I'm getting to preach in a t-shirt. And you guys will hear more about that later. I also have my Chuck Taylors on, so I feel like I can do a lot of... I'm moving around today. I'm so excited to be here uh, for this series. And I want to thank Andrew uh, for that beautiful parable uh, that he read to us today told um, by Jesus in Luke. And I would encourage you to turn uh, to Luke 15 in your Bibles. It can be found on page uh, 1625 of the Blue Bibles found under the seats here in the well uh, in the cafe. They're on a cart in the back. Uh, So last week we began this series uh, that we're calling Seeds of a Better Life. Also, my Siri just turned on. Um, She heard seeds and got excited. Uh, Seeds of a better life. uh, And we all desire better. We're unified uh, by this ambition uh, to share in this better. But the problem that we find um, is when trying to define what is better. What does it mean to have this better life that we all dream of? We're surrounded by things that tell us how to look better, how to have better status, uh, how to be faster, how to find things cheaper, how to be better. And last week we talked uh, about Psalm 1, um, that better is not something that when we seek it comes immediately, that it comes cheaply, uh, but rather it is intentional, uh, it is committed, and it is faithful. In Psalms 1, says that the person who is blessed is like a tree planted by a stream of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. And today, using this parable from Luke, uh, I don't want to talk about how we are lost and need to be found. I don't want uh, to talk about how we are sinners who have wandered from the Lord. But instead, I want to talk about God. And I want to talk about what this scripture of Luke reveals to us about our Heavenly Father. In Luke 15, 6, it says, Rejoice with me, for I have found my lost sheep. And again, uh, in 15, 9, it says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. Rejoice. Rejoice with me. Jesus says rejoice. Spoiler alert, the shepherd and this woman um, are not just a shepherd and a woman, but it's God. Jesus is referring to God as this person who says rejoice with me. And last week, Pastor Johnny did a beautiful job of setting up this whole series for us and talking about how the good life is a planted life. And today we receive our first seed. And the first seed that we are called to plant is the seed of beliefs. Now, this past week, um, I spent a lot of time in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, which I totally understand why it is called Hotlanta, because it's hot there, y'all. It's real hot. Uh, But so I was with the children's ministry team and our student ministries team here, and we were at something called the Orange Conference. Now, Orange uh, is a ministry that partners with churches uh, in family ministry. It is the combination of the family at home and the church coming together together. to do life and to share in life together. You'll see a lot of the student ministries team wearing these shirts today that say, uh, do something that you don't have to do. And that is what Orange is all about. Orange is about taking that next step um, to help out your neighbor, to help out your family, to help out our church. Uh, Because there's something at stake and it is worth it to do something that you don't have to do. Now I heard from many speakers uh, at this conference uh, and the first speaker that I heard 
opened with Christians are often known for what they are against. Christians are often known uh, for what we are against. And how sad um, and oftentimes true is that statement. Uh, The unchurched and the burned by the church are often able to say what they don't favor um, about Christianity by the rejection and the discrimination that they have experienced uh, from Christians. Now, this statement to me um, is an obvious thought that I have thought about before, uh, but when heard verbalized, it, it broke me to my core hearing this. And today, today, I want us to break out from that. I want to give us the freedom and the opportunity uh, to step away from this statement, to step away uh, from these things that Christians have fallen into. And today, I want to give us the opportunity to loudly proclaim what we are for. What are we for? Who are we for? Why are we for it? How do our lives shout the truth that we are for God? Or in fact, do our lives shout the truth that we are for God? There's a pastor, uh, an author named A.W. Tozer, uh, who once said, what comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The most important thing about us. With that in mind, I want to ask you again, what are you for? For can be defined as anything uh, in favor of, not against, representing, supportive, pro, helping something win. What are we for? How are we for God? How is our church for God? And our, O-U-R, defined as you and me, all of us, every church, every denomination, every style of worship, All churches of all colors, a shared responsibility. How are we for God? How does our life, how do our beliefs say that we are for God? Now I tell you, uh, this past past August, I began seminary at Perkins School of Theology at SMU. Pony up. Um, I love that place. Uh, I love the people. And oddly enough, I find myself loving the city of Dallas. (laughs) I love it. I love it so much. And when you become a Dallas driver, when you learn how to drive like those Dallas drivers drive, sorry, dad, I've learned. uh, It's, it's amazing. It's a great city. I began seminary this past fall. uh, And as I look back uh, on this almost full year, I become completely overwhelmed with emotions. Uh, Besides the fact that my brain often does feel like jello, uh, I, I think about the new friends that I have made um, in the school. I think about the teachers that I have come to admire. And I think about all that I have learned. Seminary has taught me more about Jesus, more about God, and more about our history than I could have ever imagined. And it's also helped me to see the world uh, in a whole new way. And I've seen the world in a way that has broken me to my core. And there's this brokenness in our world. There's a confusion in our world. There's anger. There's fear. There's hurt. There's resentment in this world. And because of this situation that I've put myself in, the way that I see the world has changed forever. 
and I, I don't think I'll ever be able to see it the same again. And I think that's a good thing. I've learned um, that there are two outcomes here in this place that I'm in. And the first one is that I can grab my cat and we can run in a cave and stay there forever. Uh, or I can fight uh, and I can press on and I can push into the discomfort and the hurt and the opportunities of growth that present themselves here. And the same is true for each and every one of us here in this room and upstairs today and in these walls of this church. You see, the world, the world can break us to our core. The world can forever change the lens that we have on. And the truth is this does not have to be a bad thing. This is where we can live into our calling. This is where we can stop agreeing with Jesus and start living like Jesus. This is where we, where we say, I want to be Jesus in my neighborhood. I want to be Jesus in my family. I want to be like Jesus in my workplace. But this cannot happen on our own. We cannot simply say we want to do this and do it by ourselves. We do this by our beliefs, by our foundation, by the planted life that we have established. And we do this because what comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And I remember the first time uh, that seminary rocked my world because that happens a bit. Uh, I went to Pastor Johnny's office in tears and I said, how do I do this? How do I do this in this world today? How do I do this with the past that our world has? How do I do this? How do I keep moving forward in this? As I learn more, how do I do this? And he gave me some of the best advice that I've ever received. He said, hold on to your truths. He said, I have three things that I hold on to. Three things about my beliefs that when nothing else makes sense, I go back to those three things. Those three truths about my faith. And Lauren, he said, you have to hold on to your truths. I began to think, what are my truths? What are the three things that I root my life in, that I'm willing to bet my life on, that I'm willing to risk it all for? What are my three truths? And I realized that the first one is that God is love. We hear that often, that God is love. Second, that God is not done and that I am his child, that I am his daughter, that I am a daughter of a king who will not leave or forsake me. So I want to ask you today, what are your truths? What is it that you hold on to when you wake up in the morning, when you go to work, when you eat with your family, when you post on Facebook, when you read posts on Facebook? What are your truths and what do they say that the most important thing about you is? When we look at Luke 15, we hear this, par this parable from Jesus uh, of a man and a woman who have lost something. And th the things that they have lost would seem a little insignificant compared to the rest of their lot. But the shepherd and the woman are relentless in pursuit of what they have lost. And just as they rejoice over what they have lost being found, God rejoices over us. Our God is the God who loves, who seeks, who pursues, who is patient, who forgives. 
who is so many things and who rejoices over each and every one of us. He rejoices over us, and that is a truth that we can hold on to this morning. The world can scare us. The world can hurt us. And we even see this. We see this occurring in Scripture. The world sees a man that is blind, and they say, blind man. And Jesus says, glory to God. The world says prostitute, and Jesus comes along and says leader. The world says Pharisee, and Jesus says opportunity. To know the God of Jesus is to know the truth of who God really is. The author of The Good and Beautiful God, James Bryan Smith, says to know the God of Jesus is to know the truth of who God really is. To know who God is, to know who we are, to know where the foundations of our life lie, and to know our beliefs and where they root from, we must turn to Jesus. We must hear the words of Jesus as opposed to the words of the world. And we find our beliefs of God through Jesus. And then we make that everything that we are. This belief must abound in all that we do. This belief must guide all that we are. And this, not only, this belief not only leads us and guides us, but acts as our foundation, acts as our safe haven, acts as our comfort and peace when all else seems to fail. Now, I've been trying to um, personally look at this, this message series um, and define it in my life, uh, figure out uh, what Lauren is supposed to do with this series here. Uh, and I've realized that this series uh, is not a boxed cake um, that gives you specific instructions, specific ingredients, specific temperatures, uh, but it's more of like a, um, a DIY Pinterest project. And men, I know a lot more of you have Pinterest than you're willing to admit. It's okay. Uh, but that's what this series is. It's more of a DIY project where it gives us steps, it gives us tools, and then it's us. And it's up to us to choose where we go from there. It's our choice to go to figure out what we are for, to plant the seed of belief in our life and to root our lives in that. And today, I wanna encourage you to put words to your beliefs, to create your pillars of faith, to create three or five or ten things that you turn back to when all else seems to fail you. That when this world breaks us to our core, we turn to these things and we don't feel defeated, but we are empowered because we serve a God that is good and that is loving and that is just and that is not done yet. This past week uh, at the Orange Conference, I had an opportunity to hear from a man named Bob Goff. Uh, he is an author of the New York Times best-selling book, uh, Love Does. I think we have a picture of him. Uh, Bob Goff. Super fun. Uh, he, is, he also serves as a senior leadership at Goff and Dwalt Law. Um, as a founding partner, he is a lawyer. And the U.S. Department of State, this is super cool, recognizes him um, as a diplomat, and he is known as an honorary consul for the Republic of Uganda um, because of uh, the organizations that he has founded there. 
Now, if you don't know Bob, uh, you need to. If you've never heard him speak, you need to YouTube him because you will get a workout from how much you laugh um, and your hand will hurt from how much you're writing because he's brilliant and has so much to say and to share. Um, He's amazing. I want to be him when I grow up. The way that he loves life, the way that he loves the Lord, the way that he loves his wife, um, for all the husbands out there, he calls his wife Sweet Marie all the time. Like that's the only way that he refers to her is Sweet Marie, and it is the most beautiful thing you will ever hear. You will melt. Um, his, His joy is just contagious when he enters a room. Now, Bob shared the story uh, when he was in seventh grade. Now, he is um, a character. He has a lot of energy. He has a lot of personality. He's big. He's bold. Uh, We are in a huge arena, and his presence just filled the room. And he was auditioning for this play in seventh grade. And so because of the energy, the performance, the voice he had, he was excited. He was ready. um, And he was anxiously awaiting which role he would receive. And so it's finally time for him to find out his role. And they said, all right, Bob, you are tree number four. He was like, Bob Goff, tree number four. Like, tree number four. That's what you want me to do, tree number four? And they said, yeah, Bob, you're going to stand there like this, and you're going to wiggle your fingers. You're tree number four. And he shares this story with us. Um, And in seventh grade, he was not happy about it at all. He was like, I'm Bob Goff. I got energy, and I'm here Stinking tree number four. What in the world? But then Bob starts to talk about how we are all kind of like a tree number four. How oftentimes we, always tr- we try to be the hero. You know, we, we want to have this big life, this big story. We're trying to be these heroes when really we are all tree number four participants in the faith. Together, here we are all tree number fours. That's not to diminish it, but he says sometimes we get caught up. We spend our whole life thinking about how to be the best Christian, the best disciple, the best follower of Jesus, that we spend all our time and all our energy thinking and not enough time doing, not enough time planting, not enough time growing and being. We spend our whole life trying to look like the hero, trying to look better, that we miss the opportunity to save anyone. We spend our whole lives trying to be the smartest that we miss the opportunity to share and to grow. He talked about how we spend our lives often trying to make faith this one thing, but we spend no time planting a foundation. And Bob talked about how we often want people to see us as a star of the show, much more than a tree number four. We want them to see things through our faith. And so when we try and do that, we end up complicating the whole situation and just blinding them to what they are supposed to see. And it becomes actually more difficult to see. But he says we need to root our faith in the truth of God. And people will see. People will see more. He said it's not about being the hero. It's not about the $25 word that makes you sound like you know what you're talking about. Okay, truth time. At the conference, this is the the notebook that I used at the conference. Uh, And right here is a word that was circled um, that says apoplectic. Uh, And I wrote this down because I heard a speaker say it, and I was like, apoplectic. That sounds smart. I should use that in my sermon on Sunday. 
Like literally, that's why I wrote it down, this word, because it sounded smart and I should use it in my message on Sunday when really I spelled it wrong and I had to Google it to find out what it means. (laughs) What? Like what? I actually did. I was like, I would sound so smart, but what in the world? So I texted uh, some of my best friends and I was like, okay, without Googling it, do you know what the word apoplectic means? Because I was like, if everybody else knows what this means, then that would be embarrassing. But so here are the responses that I got. One said, I feel like it has something to do with apologies or the apocalypse. Uh, My other friend said, sounds like a big seminary word that I don't know. One said, I have no idea. The next one said, probably something to do with the apostles, but it reminds me of apples, maybe a a love for apples. Uh, And the next person said, I think you stuttered while typing that. And then I read that and I was like, apoplectic. I was like, I'm going to have to practice this before I say to my message. But you see, I think this Western civilization of Christianity, we fall into this habit of trying to make faith something that it's not, trying to make our faith something that it's not, trying to make ourselves something that we're not. We try and have this big, bold faith, yet there's no foundation of it. There's nothing there for it to grow from. And I can stand up here and say this because I, I, I do it too. I just told you, I do it. I'm a pastor, I'm a seminary student, and we all do this. Jesus says, a woman lost her coin when she had so many other coins. She spent time searching for that one coin and rejoiced when she found it. How many of us have thrown away a penny from our cup holder in our car. But God says rejoice. Or the man that had 99 sheep, one missing one, and he said, no, I will search until I find that sheep. And God rejoices over us because that is the truth. If you have 99 pennies, you don't almost have a dollar. You have an annoying amount of change to carry around. That is how God looks at us. He searches for us. He longs for us. And that is a truth that we can hold on to today. That God rejoices over us. That we have a heavenly father who rejoices over us. Whether we know that somehow we are not alone. Or whether we know how to successfully use the word apoplectic. God rejoices over us. This past week, uh, I asked the Facebook world, Uh, what some of their truths were, some of the things that they cling to uh, when it feels like all else has gone. And here are some that they shared. God became human in the form of Jesus in order to pursue a relationship with us. God loves extravagantly and paid it all for me. I am forever his and I will serve him with all that I am. He never forsakes me even when I can't feel his presence. He reveals himself to me in the simplest yet most extraordinary ways. And all I have to do is be ready. God is love. God wants you to feel his love. And God wants you to be his love. When fear is about to overwhelm you, just breathe. Breathe and pray a simple prayer. Please, Jesus. God's love is unconditional and his mercy is ever failing. 
I don't know uh, where each and every one of us are today, uh, but I will tell you that there are some days that my three truths come easier than others. But every day, God is love, God is not done, and I am his child. And next week, when we return, we're going to talk about the practices, um, the seed of practice, and then the next week, the following week, will be the seed of our social context. But today is a seed of beliefs. And again, this, this series is not a cake box with all the perfect ingredients. I so wish it could be, but we are all different. Our faith is different. God has called us differently and chosen us differently and loves us. Each and every one of us. And this is a DIY instruction manual where we have to go and we have to do and we have to be. And this week, I want to encourage you to put words to your beliefs, to create that foundation. To use this week to turn to Jesus. To figure out the truths of God where we plant our foundation. Because what comes to mind when we think of God is the most important thing about us. Will you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning where we can come here and we can say that you are good. That you are love. That you are holy. God, some days these truths come easier than others, God, and some days we are just crying out to believe that they are true. God, I ask that as we are taken from this place, you fill our hearts, you fill our souls with your presence, that you remind us of who you are and who we are called to be in your name, God. And I pray that you give us the courage to go out into this world, to boldly and proudly Proclaim who we are and what we are for, God. And that is you and only you, God. For you are high above it all and we thank you that you have called us, God. We thank you that you love us and we thank you that we are your children. It's in your name we pray. Amen.